0: The text for the sermon this day is taken from the Gospel lesson, which is read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This text continues a theme that has gone on throughout the, throughout the end of the Gospel of Matthew. A theme of Jesus creating and separating groups. There was a separation of the, the there's the the great feast. There are the great banquet we heard about over a month ago. How there are those who were invited and they refused to attend or they were uninterested. And then there were those who received it. Those who received it enjoyed in the banquet and those who were left out were where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. You heard about the distinction of the wise virgins and the unwise virgins. Last week was the gospel lesson because we were on the um, stewardship campaign. We had a different one. But the other, the alternate gospel lesson would have been the parable of the talents. There was two who who dealt wisely with their talents. And there was the one who was foolish. And here again today, we have yet again another distinction of two different types of people. We have the the sheep and the goats, the ones on the left and the ones on the right, those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. The unrighteous ones are the ones who are sent in to eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. Let's begin with that group on the left that unrighteous group there's a story about a pastor or an individual who came into a church when he came to church he was dirty from head to toe he was grungy looking he was he had a full beard he was in fact homeless by all appearances and so when he came into this church of thousands of people, he would go around and asking, he would ask some of the people, could you help me out, give me some change? And no, everybody refused. And they went into their church, went about their merry way. As he came into the sanctuary, as he was walking around in the entry area to the church, people were ignoring him doing everything they could to avoid him when he entered into the sanctuary he tried to take the seat the front seat but the ushers came and said would you mind coming and sitting in the back instead and so it came down to service time and the elders got up in front of the church and said as you know we have been planning to, we were Today we are welcoming a brand new pastor. I'd like to welcome to you Pastor Jeremiah. And that homeless man got up out of his seat and made his way down the aisle to the front of the church. See, the elders were in on this and they knew what was going on. For the man who appeared to be homeless was in fact their new pastor. And he said these words. I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? That he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. How many of you have heard that story before? Okay, it, circul- it circulated around the internet many times. And I happened to see it pop up on my Facebook news feed this week. Like, ooh, there we go, sermon illustration. Well, I'm going to ruin the story slightly for you. It is not a true story. It is one that has been fabricated and made up by someone, somewhere. However, I think that actually gives a little bit of potency to it. And I say that because many people believed it was a true story until Snopes and all those people came out and ruined it for us. And the reason we believed it is because we could imagine it happening. Why could we imagine it? Because we know what churches are like. What's worse, and we don't want to admit this, but we know what we are like. We know how we, deep down inside, we know how we would react to somebody who had the homeless look. And I'm guessing that this guy, if he were to really do it, he probably didn't bring in the smell part, because I don't know how you'd manufacture the smell, because I don't think the pastor's gonna intentionally, you know, put urine or something on his clothing. If that were to really happen. But I know that if you bring in the smell, people are even more avoid. We tend to do the, the reason why we believe this story is because we know we fail to help those who are in need. We fail to show love and compassion upon the the neediest of those amongst us. And don't think that there is a shortage of people in need amongst you. As we have mentioned before, approximately 50% of our school district is on free or reduced lunch. So that tells you what the income level is of a good portion of our, er- of our communities. That means the people that your kids are going to school with are considered in near poverty level or maybe at poverty level. There's a lot of need in our communities. We just have to open our eyes to see it. And to be honest, there's something that I figured out pretty quickly when I got here that we in Ida Grove. We kind of have a tale of two communities. A tale of the haves and the have-nots. Has anyone else noticed that? But the thing is, how much do the haves and the have-nots associate with one another? How many of us, if we had two people, that we had two people at at a party or an event or whatever, let's say just totally random people, One person is the wealthiest, most influential person you know or know of. The other person doesn't have a job and is barely making it by. Who do we usually usually want to associate with? The wealthy, influential person. Because some reason we believe that that person is of more value. Now understand, the the person who is without a job is not of more value than the wealthy person either. They are of equal value. But very often we don't act that way. The church is supposed to be a place of charity, of love, of compassion. We as Christians are called to be just that. I think of the early church and some of the heroes of the faith. Think of like a person like St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence is a man who was a treasurer. And he was the treasurer of the church. And during one of the last great periods of persecution, he was arrested. And one of the things that happened was when a person was arrested, they had to give up all of their possessions and give it to the empire. Well, in the case of him, because he was the treasurer, they demanded that he give up all of the the income, all of the wealth, all of the possessions of the church. So Lawrence told them, well, I'll need a a day or two to gather up all these possessions. And so they gave him that day, I think two days or whatever, to get it all ready. And so what he did is he got all the stuff ready, And he gave it all to the poor, the widows, and the orphans. And so when he came before the emperor, the emperor said, So where is everything? Where are your treasures? And he pointed to the poor and the widows and he said, Behold the treasures of the church. And afterwards he was burned alive. He was burned on a griddle where he famously said, turn me over, I'm well done on this side. Another one, St. Nicholas of Myra, much more famous because of who he inspired, Santa Claus. But St. Nicholas of Myra, he's famous for, he, some legend has it that he was at the Council of Nicaea where they wrote the Nicene Creed. And legend has it is that he struck Arius in the face because Arius was a guy who was denying that Jesus was God. Now, understand that's legend. Very likely that didn't actually happen. But there is a story that very likely did happen. The inconsistencies are on the details. But it's very likely it did happen. There's a situation of of a father... who who had three daughters. And he was extremely poor. And one of the duties of a father of parents was that they had to pay a dowry in order that their daughters could get married. And if they couldn't, these daughters would be forced into lives of slavery and prostitution. This isn't fair, but that's the way society was at that time. And so... This man could not afford the dowry for his daughters. So the story is that St. Nicholas took from the church treasury, I mean with approval of the church, so he didn't steal anything, but he took money from the treasury, and he went. He snuck in through the window, or some has it, that he came in through a fireplace type thing, and he took a bag of coins and slipped it into their shoes for the girls, so that way they could pay the dowry. It's for this reason that on December 6th, the church in its history has left gifts, in not instead of shoes, some do shoes, but another alternative is they put them in stockings over a fireplace on December 6th. Now we do it on December 25th. But that's where it originated. St. Nicholas is remembered as a man who gave generously to children. And that's what the history is to be of the church, to give to those who are in need. But we come up with excuses as to why not. Sometimes we'll say, well, if they would just do, would just live better, if they would just make better decisions, they wouldn't be in this situation. That may be true, but you don't know the full story. And sometimes we take, actually very often, we take for granted what we have grown up in, what we have been given. We take for granted the fact that we live in this country. This is what Martin Luther, in in the large catechism, says in regards, especially to these words of Jesus, what he says in regards to giving to those who are in need. He's speaking about the fifth commandment, which what's the fifth commandment? You shall not what? You yeah, shall not kill, you shall not murder. It says this, in the second place, this commandment is violated, not only when we do evil, but also when we have the opportunity to do, do good to our neighbors and to prevent, protect, and save them from suffering bodily harm or injury, but fail to do so. If you send a naked person away when you could clothe them, you have let him freeze to death. If you see anyone who is suffering from, the, from hunger and do not feed her, you have let her starve. Likewise, if you see anyone who is condemned to death or in similar peril and do not save him, although you have means and ways to do so, you have killed him. It will be of no need for you to use the excuse that you did not assist the deaths by word or deed. For you have withheld your love from them and robbed them of the kindness by means of which their lives might have been saved. Therefore God rightly calls all persons murderers who do not offer counsel or assistance to those in need and peril of body and life. He will pass a most terrible sentence upon them at the last day, as Christ himself declares. He will say, I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, you did not visit me. That is to say you would have permitted me and my family to die of hunger, thirst, and cold, to be torn to pieces by wild beasts, to rot in prison, or perish from want. What else is this but to call these people murderous and bloodthirsty? For although you have not actually committed all these crimes, as far as you are concerned, you have nevertheless permitted your neighbors to languish, in deep water, or languish and perish in their misfortune. It is just as if I saw someone who was struggling in deep water or someone who had fallen into a fire, and I could stretch out my hand to pull him out and save him, and yet I did not do so. How would I appear before all the world except as a murderer and a scoundrel? Rightfully called those who have opportunity to serve those in need but don't god would rightfully calls murderers because you could have helped them but you basis and no you just starve or you just freeze the keep people these goats the people on the left what makes them what they are is because they are convinced that they are doing these things. That they are good enough, that their works are just right. So when he says, you did not feed me, you did not clothe me. They are surprised. Because they thought they were, just good, they were doing good at it. They are trying to stand upon their own works. They thought they have done enough works. But the king says, no, you haven't. And so on their own righteousness or lack thereof, they are sent off to eternal punishment. The people on the right, the sheep, when he calls to them, these are the ones who stand before the king and they realize they haven't. Done what they're supposed to do. That they have failed over and over again. Which is why they are surprised when he says, You have fed me. You have clothed me. Because they didn't realize they had done it. See, these are the ones who have faith. Because notice he doesn't say, Come you who have done awesome deeds, receive your reward. Rather, he says, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, these are the ones of whom Paul says in Ephesians, God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight before the foundations of the world. These are the ones who in faith come before the throne of grace, come before their king, knowing that they have no good in themselves. They stand there in mercy, knowing that they do not deserve, that they have no righteousness of their own. And the king says, you were, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. And he sees none of their sin. Why? Because Jesus covered that sin. He only sees the good they have done. And by the way, they cannot do any good unless it is done by faith. That's the difference. One has faith, the other has faith in themselves. The one who has faith in themselves will not pass into eternity. They'll pass into judgment. They'll pass into death. They'll pass into suffering. Those who have faith in the King of kings and Lord of lords, who have faith in Christ, they are the ones who enter into eternal life. They are the ones whom God welcomes into his kingdom. He, they are the ones to whom God says, well done, good and faithful servant. So does our faith give us excuse to live however we want? Does the blood of Jesus and his mercy and his grace mean that it excuses when we neglect to do what we're supposed to do? No. Rather, it urges us to do better. It compels us to look for opportunities to be Christ unto others. To love others as Christ has loved us. Because we know the cost of our sin. The cost of our sin was our Lord and Savior dying on the cross. and Because that is the great cost. We love and serve one another. That's What the church is to be about that's what Christians do we love and serve everyone especially the most vulnerable so how could you do it orphan grain train you ever looking for a thing to do during on a Saturday go do mercy meals up in Sioux City Support Mission Central, which sends out over 100 missionaries around the planet, serving ver- people, the poorest of the poor, people who, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but on, on an average day, 4,000 people somewhere around this world will die simply because they did not have enough food. That's why these places exist. By the way, Mercy Meals works with orphan grain Train. There are opportunities, if you open your eyes, to love and serve those in need. So may that be us as beloved, blessed, and heirs of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep in the ones you save, to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we sing the today.